Paul Bloomfield is going to carry our lesson page. Was the lesson page already passed out? All right. If you didn't already get one, I'll pass it out or some, one of us will find a, a way to get those to you. Let's open together in prayer. Lord, as we're examining the, the uh, opening of, of your church uh, through the acts of the apostles, through the acts of the common people there, Lord, we ask that you would show us the picture and portrait as you already have, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would illumine those to apply them in our lives. Lord, make us deliberate of the things that we do, and we will give you the honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read our verse together today. It's Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. <clears throat>
we as a couple have always been involved in young people's ministry. From the day we got married, we worked in high school ministry for probably 20 years. And then uh, I guess I must have matured because they moved me on to college and career. And then uh, eventually we moved down here. So young people have always been very much a part of my, our uh, ministry and life. When we came down here, we coached the women's hockey team at Liberty. And believe me, I love hockey. But one of the greatest joys was to recruit girls, have them come down here and come to know the Lord. I'm going to take a little different approach than Jonathan. And when Jonathan started to speak this morning, I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to run down the same trail. Um, I'm going to take a bunny trail halfway through that Jonathan didn't take. And uh, the reason why is, it's interesting as we study Timothy, Timothy had a background. So the question I've got, first of all, is how many in the room came to know the Lord before there were 20? About half, okay? Of those 20, how many below 20, how many were led to the Lord by your parents or came to know the Lord through your parents? Okay, not, not quite as many, but a few. My dad wasn't much of a dad. That's quite a statement. But one thing I am very, very grateful for, even though his theology was pretty screwed up at times, my dad and mom introduced me to the Lord. There was a time where after I came to know the Lord, I got away from the Lord. But you know, it's interesting. I remember one night in particular, we had been out doing some stuff. We'll just leave it at that. And I can remember getting home and I can remember laying down in bed and I can remember thinking this thought. The way you're acting is not worthy of what God's done in your life. And that's kind of started a new trail for me. And... Um, I think sometimes those flaws that are in our lives, whether they're self-inflicted or hand-me-down, as in Timothy, Timothy didn't have anything to say about what his, who his dad was, but I think that those types of things that are in our past are the things that mold us to make us the people we are, whether it's the call to service or your type of call or how you handle the call or how you work through your calling for life. And I think that as we look at each other and we get to know each other and we see each other's backgrounds, you can see how the Lord has worked, led, ministered, and guided so that as we've grown in the Lord, we've grown in unique ways because of those things that are in our past. Some of those things that are sometimes self brought on, other times through the family. Timothy was raised by a godly mom and a godly grandmother. And through that calling and through the church relationship, the Apostle Paul comes into their lives and the Apostle Paul sees the potential of, of who Timothy could be and how he could minister. It's interesting, when we first started working in the high school ministry, there was a young man that was in our youth group. He wanted to be a science teacher, very smart kid. And about halfway through his high school, I was talking to him one day and I said, what are you gonna do with your, what you're gonna do at university? And he said, well, I think I'm going to be a high school teacher. And I said to him, have you ever thought about using your ministry, your ability, your background 
as a pastor. He said, no, I wouldn't want to be a pastor. And I said, okay. Going forward, I went into business, sold my business in 89, didn't know what to do with myself, so I went back to Bible school to finish a, deg a degree that I had been working on forever. And one of those classes, I went to class the first day of the semester, I sat down, of course you gotta remember I'm twice as old as anybody else in the class. This young man walked in and I said to him, Kevin, what are you doing here? He said, a long time ago, you said that I should be a pastor. And he said, the thought has never left my mind. And when I got done university, I was gonna to go to teacher's college and the Lord just said, I want you to take a year of Bible school. Well, that ended up in four years. I see him on Facebook all the time now. He's a pastor in a little church, Northern Ontario. And I think he's got four or five kids. And you can just tell by the conversation, he's just living in the joy of the Lord, serving the Lord. And I think the Apostle Paul saw this in Timothy. And I think that back then he didn't go to seminary necessarily. So I think that the Apostle Paul said, Timothy, you need to come with me. You need to see what the ministry is all about. And so, um, I'm going to hit a button here. <laughs> Perfect. Acts 16, 1-4, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, and his father was a Greek. And Lou, in his handout, said, what difference does that make? I think it's interesting when you look at the law of the Jewish faith. Moses told the Jewish people, do not intermarry. So as years and hundreds of years and went by, the Jewish community added stuff. Just like we and previous generations have added stuff. And the Jewish committee, or the Jewish community was busy putting down those that were, for the sake of a nasty word, half-breeds, not very complimentary. And so you can, you can imagine that as Timothy was going through school, he was known as a half-breed. His dad was a pagan. And we, we know stories from the woman at the well. Those people had to live in a separate community, almost. So when you think about Timothy's upbringing, was he picked on? Was he put down? And yet when Paul came along and saw who Timothy was, he saw because of his background and because of his character, things that would he could use in ministry that would grow and, and bless the people. He says to, uh, in, in 1 Timothy 1 and 2, he says, Timothy is like a son to me. And there's, when you read the books, there's a tendency to think that maybe one of the people that came to know the Lord was Timothy under <coughs> Paul's ministry. We don't know that for sure. But Paul takes him as, and talks to him as like, he was my son. I'm ahead of my notes. Is this computer up to speed with me here? It says the believers at Lystra spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on his journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews that lived in that area. When I read that, and I knew it before, but when I read it this time as I was studying, a red flag came up. And I want a bunny trail just for a minute. If you go back to Acts 15, 
I want to read some verses to you. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Does that spark any reaction from you? Because what is salvation? Talk to me, or you all go to sleep. What is salvation? By, by faith are you saved through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't say through faith and circumcision. And yet here's Paul, very senior minister, evangelist. And he's going to take Timothy with him. And yet he makes him get circumcised. So let me read on a little more in 15. And after Paul and Barnabas had uh, no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders with this question. Can you be saved or without being circumcised? So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through uh, Samaria, blah, 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 goes on and then when they came to Jerusalem they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and declared all that God had done with them but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them because it's the law of Moses I'm going to skip a bunch of verses here but basically they had this big hoedown everybody got in there and threw their own opinions in and you know what that's going to be like. It'll be like an old Baptist business meeting. It says at the end, James replied. Now, James has been in this meeting, and he must have been in charge or something. But anyway, he says, reply, brothers, listen to me. Simeon uh, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from people for his name and wish them... And oh, sorry, and with them the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Verse 19, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. But we should write to them, and these are the four categories that they decided out of this big hoedown. This is the four categories that they have to uh, agree to. These are Gentiles that are coming to come to the Lord. Said verse um, my bad eyesight's got nothing to do with what just happened to me. But you should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols. Well, that's the first point, and I don't have any problem with that. I think that's a good rule. Uh, they're supposed to abstain from sexual immorality. I think that's probably a pretty good rule. And from what has been strangled, I'm not sure what that has to do with anything other than obviously something to do with Satan and, and uh, the Jewish law and from blood. These are the four categories. For, uh, for from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaimed him and, and was read in the synagogue. So these are the four rules that came out of the Jerusalem hoedown of what is qualified to be a pastor. The next chapter, we, we read, Paul goes and meets Timothy, who is a young believer, wants to take him because he sees potential in his ministry, and what does he do? Makes him be circumcised. Paul's just come from Jerusalem, where it wasn't one of the rules. So I want to ask you this. How many of you grew up in the church in the 60s? There's a few. <laughs> that, that's, not a, that's not putting you down because of your age. I'm there too. So there was a, a music group came over from England, and I think their name was the Beatles. <laughs> and it's really, really ironic to me, but they, were, they got the title of rock and roll. And it wasn't very long before rock and roll tried to enter into the church society. How many have sat through a church? And if it wasn't sung out of a hymnal, you were probably getting shipped to somewhere else. 
Yep, got a few hands. Well, I was in that generation, and I didn't really care about the Beatles. And the funny part of it is, now that I listen to the Beatles, it's pretty, pretty mild compared to some of the others. But I can remember my grandfather, who was a traveling evangelist, and calling them this music, beatniks. And it's from Satan and from hell. And you know, it went on and on and on. And my dad, who was very, very, very legalistic, and we had rules in our house that uh, men couldn't have long hair because it was a shame, and women couldn't dress like men, which was bad. And um, you couldn't listen to anything music other than that was in the hymnal. And it went on and on and on. And I remember um, colored shirts. How many remember? Everybody had to wear suits, by the way, back in those days, even when you're eight years old. And colored shirts came out. And we had a big ruckus at our home. My dad said, colored shirts are from Satan. And you, you wear a white shirt and a tie. Now, my grandfather is a traveling evangelist, and he's away for like six months at a time. He comes home about two weeks after my father makes this huge explanation that colored shirts are from the devil. And my grandfather is preaching in our hometown that Sunday, so my mom and dad decided they would go and hear my grandfather preach. And you will not believe this. My grandfather had a green shirt on. Now, when you're... 14, you really understand the discrepancy of, and this will probably get into with law and rules. But I think it was interesting because Timothy, I don't know whether he knew what the council in Jerusalem had said or not, but Paul said to him, I think you need to be circumcised if you're going to travel with us because your dad is a Greek, and it, the Bible doesn't even make an issue, it just says Timothy went and was circumcised. The question I've got is, what difference did it make? And why did God allow it to be written in the book? What difference did it make? So I'm going to ask you guys, you're all sitting there very pondering here, what difference did it make? It wasn't necessary for salvation, and yet Paul's going to take Timothy, potential pastor someday, going to take him on the mission trip with him. And he and what does Paul do? The first thing, doesn't say they packed their bags, doesn't say he said farewell to his family, says Paul took him and got him circumcised. Help me. They were called to be separate, and there was a mark put upon them to distinguish them from the rest of the world. A mark by who? God. But by faith he saved through Christ. I'm just being devil's advocate. I'm not arguing. But we're talking Old Testament. You said why would why were the Jews required to be circumcised? Okay, but why would Paul require? That's that's my question. No, I, I didn't. Okay. Yeah, I no, I'm not. Why they were being circumcised? Go ahead. It's because the Jews would be less likely to listen to Timothy talk about how the scriptures pointed to Jesus being the Messiah, with him being a Jew and not circumcised. So it had nothing to do, and it wasn't because he had to for salvation or anything like that. Paul was coming at the standpoint of, if you're a Jew and you're going to go talk to other Jews and try and convince them of who Jesus is, they're not going to listen to you if, you if if you come across as a bad Jew because you were not circumcised when you were younger. Okay, but what happens if Paul ministers to the Greeks? I'm just being devil advocate. Go ahead. Paul wanted to be all things to all men. So obviously he's, you know, comes out of very conservative Jewish, you know, background, so he can minister to Jews. But he wasn't opposed to going and sitting down and having a ham dinner with the Gentiles. And ham dinner, good. It's, it's, the, yeah, it's, it's the same thing. You know, he wouldn't he wouldn't have ham with his Jewish friends because they'd be offended by that. You know, his his right. uh, ultra conservative women don't wear pants and. You know, kind of uh, background, but you know, then, then you can go over to the more liberal side and say, okay, you know, I can I can enjoy this and, and still fellowship. Okay, Bob. The very first place that Paul went to every time he went to the town was into the synagogue. 
Counselor, do you think Timothy went into the first church and had a sign on his back, I've been circumcised? <laughs> Just a question. No, it's funny. I, so I, I, I'm, I'm just being devil's advocate here because I, obviously God didn't have a problem with it because it's in the book. And it wasn't put down. But the question I've got is, what, what would happen if I had gone to, to my high school in my suit and white shirt? Would my high school have paid any attention? Would the non-Christian kids in my sphere, would they have been upset because I didn't wear a colored shirt? I'm just, I'm just, I'm putting it out there. See, I think, I think the thing is in today, we're the same way. I've, I've gone through three churches that went through, the, dealt with the whole music thing. And I, I came to Thomas Rose like, let her rip. We have everything. I, I, I love the fact that we have the old hymns. I was working yesterday, and my son said to me, what are you humming? I didn't even know I was humming. But I was humming an old hymn. Didn't even, wasn't even paying attention to what I was doing. And I think that this, this is the sad part for me. I, I think I'm pretty open. But do our, our kids, do they know those old hymns? Do they know the, te- the theology in those hymns? I, I, you, know, you think about those old hymns and the, and the words that are said in them. Our kids don't know them. And yet I love the new music. We sing old hymns, we sing new hymns. They introduce new hymns every day, every Sunday practically. And, oh, there's the odd one that's like eating sawdust, but the rest of them are good. And I just... When I saw this in, the, in here and I thought to myself, what in the world is Paul making Timothy do? And I would love to have the conversation, you know, Paul's introducing Timothy to new congregations. And, oh, by the way, he's been circumcised. Did they have those kind of conversations? I don't want to be part of that conversation at all. <laughs> Okay, let's get back. That's the end of the bunny trail. Just trying to make you think about some of the stuff that goes on. But I think we do the same thing. When you look at the what the priests and some of those guys did by the time Jesus came along, they didn't only have the law. They had all kinds of crap added to the law. Rules that didn't make any sense, but they, they were really good at keeping them. And they didn't have anything to do with anything. And I just feel like, I think sometimes we have a tendency when something is out of the norm. I'll give you an example. I met a girl about two weeks ago. She came and applied for a job, wanted to clean one of her houses, and she had tattoos. Uh, I was going to say everywhere. I don't know about everywhere. But everywhere I could see tattoos. She had one plug in the ear that was like, that big. And I thought to myself, that's a little weird. You know something? Found out? She's a believer. And I thought to myself, wow, I just got caught up in the same stuff that I hated and fought when I was a teenager. And I think that we as Christians need to be careful in our presumptions of who people are. And when I saw this, it took me down the bunny trail. That's the end. Um, let me put it back to this computer again. So the Apostle Paul takes Timothy on his missionary trip, and he says to him, I see the potential for you being a pastor, but here's some advice. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. How many of you, when you were young, felt like nobody wants to pay attention to me? But set an example for the believers in what you say, in the things that you do, in love, in faith, and in purity. So the Apostle Paul is saying to him, there's things that you need to do, and then here's the things. Be careful what you say. 
care for what you do, act in love, in faith and in purity. Keep yourself clean. Again, I'm ahead of my notes. Thank <laughs> you. 
about the time my battery would be really, really good. <laughs> okay, fill in the blanks. Uh, be strong in God's grace, Lord's grace. What is grace? Help me. What is, what's the definition of grace? Say that again, I heard it. Unmerited favor. How cool is that? When you think about, I'm going to go on a little bunny trail again. When you think about God created the world in seven days. And I don't know how many of you actually drive down the highway and think, wow, that's beautiful. Or you see something and think, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. And then you realize that God created that. God hears every one of our concerns. Let's even broaden it. He knows every thought that we have in our head. He, he doesn't owe anybody anything. He takes his son and sends him to the planet Earth. Who is abused and put to death. I just, when I think about it, I think, when God does all and can do all, and we, our, our little brains can't even comprehend, when we think about what God does, and then he reaches to us with what? Unmerited, certainly unmerited, faith, and he, and he gives us favor, and he gives us salvation. Sharon said to me the other day, I wonder what mom's doing. Sharon's mom just passed away a month ago. So I probably sitting talking to Moses. And, you know, it's like we smile. But you know, when we get to heaven, heaven's just going to be full of all kinds of people that, why wouldn't we talk to Moses? Why, why won't we be talking to King David? Why, why won't we be talking to the Lord? And the Lord's going to give us whatever time we need to talk to us. It's amazing when you start to think about it. Unmerited favor. How is our salvation related to, to loving favor of God? It's the fill in the blank. Loving. I don't know where you've been in your life. I know where I've been. What made God love me? And it's easy to say, well, you know, when he's two years old and you tuck him into bed and you, you look at him laying in the, we got a two-year-old grandson, you look at him laying there and you think, what's not to love? And then you think about some of the things you did, some of the things you said, some of the things you thought about, some of the things, the way you treated people. And you think, God still loves me. We'll understand that someday better. Um, discipleship, uh, discipling others who can, dis, uh, who can disciple others. What is the difference between evangelism and discipleship? We had this conversation at our table last Sunday. First of all, what is discipleship? Who is the disciple? Lou talked about it for a few minutes last week. What is a disciple? Someone who is being discipled. So what does it take to be a disciple? Someone who is willing to learn. There's lots of times in my life I didn't want to learn. I didn't want to be a disciple. Don't talk to me about colored shirts or white shirts. Don't talk to me about long hair or short hair. Don't talk to me about music. I wasn't a disciple. I wasn't interested in hearing the other half of the story. So in order to disciple someone, you have to be able to communicate with that person. You have to be able to meet on a, on a, a level that you can teach and, and guide. We have a coach over here. When I was coaching, it was really neat. You'd have kids that would come and want to learn. You'd have other kids that would be just like, yeah, whatever. And it's really interesting when you compare that and think about what it, likes, what it means to be a disciple or a discipler. It's not something that just automatically happens. Let me get back to my notes here. What challenges do we have in discipling people today? 
Well, I think I just hit on it. Some people don't want to be discipled. So in those cases, we have to build relationships. What are practical ways that it can be accomplished? Question? Anybody got an answer? What are ways that it can be accomplished? Lifestyle? Meeting them where they are? Go on, so we don't run out of time. Um, Paul used three examples of enduring suffering. He, he talks about the soldier, and they follow their authority. Sharon doesn't like it, but I, I love watching old war movies. And why, why did people win wars? It's because people sacrificed themselves and did what their leadership told them to do. The example of an athlete must follow the rules. I'm a big hockey fan. If you don't follow the rules, you go to the penalty box. If it's more severe, then you spend more time in the penalty box. If it's really bad, then they kick you out of the game. you got to follow the rules. Example, the farmer. They're the first to eat the crops. I grew up on a farm. Many times, mom would say, here's a basket. I need a basket of green beans. She tried that one year with peas and... Uh, I think I ate everything I picked. So as a result, Mother said, I don't think we'll do peas again because they didn't, that was crop failure. <laughs> we never had any money on the farm, but you know what was really neat? We always had company, and we always had roast beef. And I remember people sitting at our table saying, oh, I just love the roast beef, and I'm thinking, big deal. We always had roast beef. Paul's suffering was a result of the gospel. Paul didn't have to suffer. He didn't have to push the gospel. But because God called him to, he did suffer. And it's interesting. I was reading some of the chapters before and after. And Paul and Silas are preaching. They get whipped. I just could, I couldn't imagine. And then... The jailer tells them, well, you, these guys are really bad guys. You better make sure they don't escape. Puts them in the inner, the inner sanctum in stocks. I don't know if you've ever seen stocks, but they don't look very comfortable to me. And in the middle of the night, they're praying and singing praises. How, how weird is that? Paul reminds uh, Timothy that the gospel is, I'm way ahead of my point here. How many, how many arrows do I need to go here? Oh my gosh, did I start over again? It's okay, we've got the notes and we can follow you. So. I can't follow this, so we're going to leave that. Okay, let's go on. Um, He reminds Timothy that the gospel is Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. Why was Paul in chains for sharing the gospel? I think we already kind of talked about that. He reminds Timothy that the gospel is not dead. What does he mean? What does he mean when the gospel is not dead? He works in people's lives. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little story about my son and I build houses. And we built this house and we had this couple come and they were like, oh, we so love the house. But we can't buy it. So, why can't you buy it? Well, it has to head east. So, okay, let me help you this. You serve a God that can't hear you unless you're facing east. Doesn't sound like God I want to be part of. I want, if, if I'm going to serve a God, I want a God that can hear me no matter where I am. Upside down, backwards, forwards, east, west, north, whatever. But I think that's the interesting thing. These people are so serious. I mean, they, they, they finally bought a house from us, but it was on a street that faced east. So that they could face Mecca. 
That's pretty weird to me. We sold them the house anyway. <laughs> we serve a God who's alive. And I think that those of us that we lay down in bed and we think about things that have happened in our world and the Holy Spirit to me is the most amazing person. He convicts me when I'm wrong. He comforts me when I'm sad. He strengthens me when I need strength. He's more. He's more than in my back pocket. He's in my head. And I think when you think about the gospel being life, what would it be like to worship an idol? I mean, there's nothing. If I got to go to church on Sunday and look at an idol, I'm going to stay in bed looking the inside of my eyelids because it makes more sense. We have a we serve a God who's totally alive. Paul shares with Timothy four trustworthy things. If we die with Christ, we will live with him. When the doctor told me I had cancer, I thought to myself, hmm, it's a start to the end. And then you think about what's the end? I'm going to be with Jesus forever. If we endure suffering, we will reign with him. He knows that we're going to suffer. He knows that people are going to pick on us. Satan's out to destroy it. And he's like a roaring lion. Seeking who he can find. If we disown Christ, he will disown us. And then it just, does this mean that a person can lose their salvation? No. It really means they've never accepted the Lord. I think the funny part of it is after you get a little bit older and you've been through a few church situations and that, it's going to be scary who we're going to find in heaven and who we may not find in heaven. A couple of deacons, board members. Not judging. If we are faithless, Christ stays in touch with us. His Holy Spirit works in our lives. What are practical ways that the gospel can be lived out in our lives? I think we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about lifestyle. I think that, as Jonathan said this morning, if we realize what God's done for us, we know what God's word is. If we pray that he leads us, he will put us in situations that will grow the kingdom. I don't know where my life is going to be in the next five years. And just in case you haven't thought about it, you don't know where yours is either. We get caught up in new homes. We get caught up in television. We get caught up in sports. We get caught up in millions and millions and millions of things. The thing that I always have to challenge myself is, what is really important? What really matters? And when we really think about what really matters, then we have to think, how can I make a difference? I know hundreds of people, really good people. I like them. I love to hang out with them. But if they don't know the Lord, I'm missing the target. 
that's close. Father, hear. Your love is more than we can understand. You've reached down to each one of us and touched us where we were. Irregardless of our background, the things that we've done or the places that we've been or even who our Father is. And you've taken those pieces and made us who we are. I pray in my life that I'm sensitive to what you've done, what you want done, and how you want to reach every person that can be reachable. So I just pray that as we go from this place today, that you would go with us. Your Holy Spirit would minister to us, would guide us. And I pray that you'd help us to be guidable. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.